0: people don't mooch. They don't look for stuff. You know, missionaries and, and pastors and people in ministry shouldn't be moochers. They shouldn't be expecting people to take care of them other than the way the scripture says that he needs to be worthy of his wage and they need to be shown honor, but they shouldn't be like poor
1: mouthing. Welcome to Mothering from the Heart, a program that seeks to reach out and encourage women in the everyday moments of life. Your teacher is pastor's wife, mother, and grandmother, Audrey Brogy. We're in a series of messages entitled, Stories of Women, in which Audrey has been looking at various women in God's Word and examining their particular circumstances while making application for women in the 21st century. Last week, we began a look at the Shunammite woman who is written about in the book of 2 Kings. As we pick up, we find this woman is submissive in her demeanor and interaction with the prophet Elisha. Audrey gives some insight into being submissive and notes that this submission was in conjunction with Elisha's demeanor of godliness.
0: We don't find godly husbands, again, godly husbands, being dictatorial in their leadership. Again, I could give you name after name after name biblical marriage, biblical submission is not an inability of a woman to act independently of her husband either. Biblical submission is giving respect and honor to God's authority structure. That's it in its simplest form. So that brings us to B. She had the right view of Elisha, God's man. So she has the right view of her husband. And we're going to see this played out as we continue to walk through this passage. But she has the right view of her husband. She has the right view of Elisha, God's man. So you've got two men in this woman's life, and there's going to be a third because it's going to be her son. And, of course, this is a mark of faith, too. You know, the, the right uh, respect for her husband is a mark of faith. You know, a woman who claims to be a godly woman, if she doesn't respect her husband, she can just strike off the fact she's not godly. Because that's one of the marks of a godly woman is to have respect for her husband. And then the second thing you see is having the right view of God's man. You could call that her second mark of faith. And that's what she says. Well, you see it right in the text. She says, I perceive. She's talking to her husband, stating what she perceives. I perceive this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. So she notices that. She's very perceptive. She's looking out for the man in her life. And it shows, again, her own walk with God. And then she wasn't obviously taken, like so many women today, taken in by trends or charlatans or, you know, just whatever TV preacher's out there or TV preacher woman is out there. She's not a weak woman, like Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7. And I'm, I'm going to read this. It's just so important. <laughs> and of course, remember, Timothy is a young pastor. Paul's writing him that letter. First and Second Timothy, they're called pastoral epistles. He's writing to Timothy how the church should function, what the different roles are in the church, and warning Timothy. And he's telling him to stay the course. He's, he's developing this new, this young pastor, because he's going to go to be with Jesus soon, And he wants to pass on all that he knows. And then he says this to Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. You see, he's giving this big long list and saying, this is what's going to happen, Timothy. You've got to avoid these kinds of people. And then he says, for among them, these kinds of people are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, every time I read that, with every passing year, it just seems like that type of woman is just increasing. There's so much out there. There's just so much out there. So along with the the good, the solid biblical teaching that we have so much access to that's that. That is, that's true and right and awesome, and so many good preachers, and so many good women who are helping other women, right along with that are so many bad ones. So much, so much bad, but we don't always recognize it as bad because it's mixed in, it's good, it's sprinkled in with it. And that's why, again, we have to become discerning women. We have to know the God of the Word. We have to know the Bible so that we're just not basing everything we do on someone else's opinion. Oh, that sounded good. That's a good little saying. I think I'll repeat that. Rather than knowing the Scripture for ourselves so that we can we can listen with discernment. I'm not talking about listening with a critical spirit to tear down whoever's teaching the word. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being discerning so we're not taken in by just a a woman who can write well or a man who can write well. We don't want to be women. You know, in the way, one of the ways you're going to avoid that is number one, to be in the word more than that you're in the world. And that's not walking around with a Bible stuck on your head. We're not talking about that. But you just think about, just weigh out how much time you watch television or movies compared to how much time you know God's Word, you're, you're reading, to study, to show yourself approved. You just, you just compare it. Because, it, yeah, it's, we have time for, think about all the things you have time for. I'm not, and I'm not talking about the necessities, you know, taking care of your home and family and doing the, the, what needs to be done. That's godly service, by the way, to take care of your home to to take care of your husband, that's not nothing stuff. That's biblical. That's honoring God. That's good stuff. That's kingdom work. What, what I'm doing today, standing right here talking to you, yes, this is kingdom work because I want you to know the scripture. I want to know the scripture. God calls us to encourage one another all the more while it's still called the, today. Women are supposed to teach other women in all kinds of platforms. Uh, that's, that's good kingdom work, but it's You know what I consider even more kingdom work? is sitting down like I've been doing this week with two of my granddaughters teaching the Bible to them on my couch. We have got to be women who know the word. And the Shunammite, here she is, she recognized a holy man when she saw one. Not only that, she wants to minister to him. She knows he is God's man. She wants to use what she has to help him, but she doesn't want to go around her husband to do it. It's not like I want to do this with my husband. He's just, uh No, she goes to her husband first and says, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. You know, and he passes by us continually. We've been feeding him. You think we could give him a little room? You think we could have a little room up there? We could put a lampstand, you know, because we're women. We like to take care of the needs. We can put a bed up there. We can give him a little desk. He can have a lamp. She goes to her husband to help the man of God. And you know, we see these kinds of women in, in all over the Bible, but I, think, I thought particularly in Luke's gospel. Remember the women who supported the ministry of Jesus out of their private means? Luke 8 tells us, I'll just read, the. It's, Luke 8, it's found in Luke 8 verses 1 to 3 if you want to look it up. Soon afterwards, he began speaking of Jesus, going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Jusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, many others, we don't know who they were, but many others, the scripture tells us, who are contributing to their support out of their private means. So the scripture's telling us that they had a private stash of money, <laughs> maybe some kind of private industry. I don't, I mean, cottage industry, maybe like Lydia Belsman, maybe like the Proverbs 31 woman who did things that are, maybe like so many women today, they have little businesses, they sew things, they, they paint things, and they sell them, or they have a, whatever it is. And they are maybe, you know, widows because they're, they're not married anymore, but they have a fixed income. But they, but they have a way to support the ministry of God's people. And we're not even told how these women have their money. But here in Kings, we are told that the Shunammite is a prominent, a wealthy woman. And Elisha ends up coming to her home regularly. And I think about this, too, in our day. It might be equivalent to a, a woman saying, well, I'd like to support this ministry. Maybe to her husband together, I'd like to support this ministry. You think we could put this in the budget? And, but then, you know, together they work that out. Or maybe she has her own little stash of cash. I don't know. I mean, I know, my, I know of a, a, a woman who's gone home to be with the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, back in the day, she's, she'd be over 100 now. But back in the day, you know, her husband gave her, they operated on cash, and her husband gave her the cash that she needed to run the home in terms of groceries and all that. But she would tie that cash because that was like her, the little, the, what she had to manage the home. You know, but women today, like, let's house the missionary who's coming to speak in our church. I'd like to support this ministry. And these type of women look well to the ways of her household using what she has. And so that brings us to point two. She's available to God. She demonstrates this through her hospitality, hospitality, when she thought about. She actually considered it. And then she offered it. It was something she could do. She didn't wait for someone to ask her, could you house? Could you do this? And Elisha probably would have never done that in a million years because godly people don't mooch. They don't look for stuff. You know, missionaries and and pastors and people in ministry shouldn't be moochers. They shouldn't be expecting people to take care of them other than the way the Scripture says that it needs to be worthy of his wage, And they need to be shown honor, but they shouldn't be, like, poor-mouthing. And sad to say, a lot of ministry people do that. But you shouldn't be poor-mouthing. None of us, even if we're not ministry, shouldn't be poor-mouthing. But especially people in ministry shouldn't be doing that. But this was something she could do. She was well-to-do, probably in this time of life, because she didn't have any children, In the time of life where she could have just enjoyed her leisure, lunching and up with the girls, just doing whatever she wanted, she probably could have been living a very selfish life. But she opened her home to the man of God. In fact, she's the one who initiates his staying with him, and before that, she's just initiating him eating food, eating food, eating food, eating food. She wants to feed him. And she notices the needs of Elisha, offers and insists, not responding, as I said a minute ago, to some plea. She's perceptive. And so she states her mind to her husband. Again, look again at verse 9. I perceive, and then in verse 10, Please, I mean, you might want to circle the word please. That's the way she approaches her husband. Please, let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And of course, too, you can, I mean, I personally just immediately thought of all the people in this fellowship who are just like this, just like it, they have the gift of hospitality. Some maybe they don't have the gift of hospitality, but they perceive needs. And they just offer, they just say, if there's any, any time, anybody needs a place to stay, we've got this room, I've got these two rooms, we've got these extra beds, we've got this. Please, we won't always know when people need a place, but I want you to know that you can call us. We would like to do that. And the Shunammite assesses her situation and she uses it to do good. But again, and just want to remind you, she doesn't do it without the consent of her husband. And God honors this about her. Because, you know, there are a lot of women who, you know, in general, none of y'all, in general, though, Christian women who think they're super spiritual and way more spiritual than any man, especially their husband's. And sometimes they judge their husbands based on the way they respond to God and their own emotions and the way they are, rather than wait. People have their own walks with God. I don't judge other people's spirituality based on me. Maybe mine needs needs to be tuned up. This is very possible in this situation that this woman was a woman who was way more tuned in to God's leading than her husband was. It could be. We don't know. But it could be. And God stirs in her heart because we don't see this. We see this woman initiating. We see the woman perceiving. We see her in action. But she goes to her husband. She didn't act independently of him. But neither did she wait for her husband to suggest the room for the prophet. She initiated it, but she didn't manipulate. And there's a huge difference between the two. She didn't whine. She didn't coerce. She didn't stamp her foot to get her way. She did it God's way, and God blessed her. Okay, now let's pick up in verse 11. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant. So now we know the upper chamber's done. (laughs) You know, it's finished. And so he turns into the upper chamber, and he's resting. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, to his servant, Say now to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. He's taken notice of this. He's grateful. He's thankful thankful for this. He says you've t- done this with all this care. Well, what can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? What is it that you need? So Elisha here is wanting to bless this woman for her obedience and for her kindness to him. And it shows us too something about the heart of God. He cares. Elisha's grateful. And God sees it. But notice what the Shunammite says. I mean, she doesn't make any kind of request, even with Elisha's offer. And think about it for a second. Elisha has connections. He can help her. He wants to help her. Elisha, again, was not the type of man who was in the ministry to sponge off of people. But you know what she says? She says, I live among my own people. Basically, she's saying, I have all I need. I'm satisfied in my life. You know, and it's a good thing when God's people can honestly say, I'm satisfied with my life. You know, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. (laughs) Because he's my shepherd, I don't have to want. Because he gives me everything that I need. (laughs) whether it's prosperity or whether it's nothing, whether there's a lot or there's a little, whether there's times when I'm very unhappy and dissatisfied in, in whatever it is. God says, I don't have to want because he has me where he has me. And, you know, the psalmist says, give me, give me my portion. You know, just take care of me, just whatever it is that I need. I probably don't need a whole lot, Lord. Or God knows whether I need a little or whether I need a lot. And you know what? If someone, I mean, think about this for a second. If someone came to you, y'all should, I don't think that I have this in your Titus Fellowship questions, but Titus Moms, you should ask this in your groups. If someone came to you and offered to give you anything and they had within their power to do so, they offered, and they have the power to do it. What would you say? I thought about that for myself, and I just sort of felt ashamed, because I can always think of more things that I think I need, whether it's on the material side of things, or whether it's the emotional side of things. No matter what, I can always think, well, you know, I certainly need that, and I sure could use this, and And there's a difference, obviously, in being appreciative of more things and however God may want to supply. But the issue is being content. (coughs) The issue is being able to say, I live among my people. (coughs) I have all I need. I'm satisfied. I want to be content. I want not to want. And I thought about the verse, too that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The Apostle Paul, he said, I've learned to be content with a little and with a lot. That's in Philippians. One of the reasons her response is so amazing is because of what we find out next as Elisha still wants to do something for this woman. But what do you do for someone who doesn't need anything or who says, I've got, I've got everything I need? <clears throat> he, so he consults Gehazi. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi, the servant says, well, she has no son and her husband's old. And we wonder, to make you wonder how old she is, I don't know. So here we find, this is where we find that she doesn't have any children. And we know what the Bible teaches about Hebrew women. They all wanted children. Every Hebrew woman desired children. Having a child, we've already learned, is a, was a sign of divine blessing. And like Elizabeth, though, with the Shunammite, we don't see her resenting God, wallowing in self-pity over her circumstances. She's just still serving God. She's taking care of God's man. She's just where she is, what, what, the lot that God has handed her, she is living her life to honor the Lord. And think about it for a moment. Again, ask the same questions we asked before with Elizabeth. What about you? Do you use your unhappy or difficult circumstances as an excuse, whatever it is, not to be available for God to use you or to whine or, and feel sorry for yourself? You just have to think. Whatever your circumstances, whatever it is you're disappointed in or whatever it is you don't have that you really would like to have, what do you do about it? How do you express that? What comes out of your mouth talking about it? But we see here from this passage that Elisha wants to bless this woman anyway, even though she says, I'm content. And so he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Here we see again her obedience to God. When he calls her, she comes and very humbly and respectfully stood in the doorway. She didn't say, well, what do you want now? Then he said, at this season, next year, you shall embrace a son. Isn't that something? You know, God's put it in their hearts that this woman wanted a child. We don't see the Shunammite pouring out her heart to God for a child the way we see Hannah doing. There's nothing wrong with that. We should pour our hearts out to God, but that's just not what we see here. That's not what God shows us here. Because this is something, what what we're seeing here is that God just knew her desire. God began meeting a need that she had not even expressed, at least not to anyone. Maybe she'd expressed it to the Lord, but she didn't express it to them. Has God ever done that in your life? Have you ever seen God provide for you the desires of your heart that you didn't even ask him for? Or that you never said, or that you never even knew would so meet a need that you had? God just did something. You're like, I didn't even know I needed that. But boy, I can see that I needed that. God sees those kinds of things. God sees our faithfulness. He sees what's going on on the inside. He sees the motives of our hearts. And when we serve him out of those pure motives, he just has a way of taking care of us. And I'm sure she must have been touched by that, by what happened here. And of course, maybe we would think that the Shunammite would just be overjoyed in her expression towards Elisha. You know, Elisha, God's representative, is promising a child to her. But look again at her response. She respects him, but she says this, and she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, there's a lot of commentaries, (laughs) and I remember... I don't know if I as I read it or if I heard it in a sermon. I don't remember. But I do remember that someone said that the reason the Shunammite responded this way is because she had put up a barrier in this area of her life, that she had walled off the desire for a child, sort of a way of dealing with the hurt and disappointment and that maybe she had never really yielded this area to God. I don't think so, just because everything God does tell us about the Shunammite. What we see that's about to happen Because I think if that were true, we would probably see some evidences. I think God would have just pulled back the curtain and shown us that. He would have showed that to us. Because I don't think that's consistent with the Shunammite's actions and the responses and what she does. I just believe that she's just touched because God was responding to this deep cry that was within her very soul. He knew. And he understood. And here she is again, just living out this obedient life in the everyday And he sees, and just like Sarah before here, before her, she's promised a son. The scripture says, "And the woman conceived and bore a son at that season. The next year, as Elisha had said to her, so she receives this blessing as a result of her obedience. And that brings us to point three on your outline. She was obedient to God in the everyday. We're going to see how her obedience continues even in the heartbreaking circumstances of her life. So up until now, her life is good, but God is bringing her into a deep personal trial that will tear at the very insides of her her very soul. Verse 18, when the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head, and he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. So sad. And of course, a natural response might be, I can't believe you would do this, that you would give me this boy that I didn't even ask for. And then now this has come and now I have to face his death. But the Shunammite, obviously, again, from what we see in Scripture, knows that the God who who gives also has the right to take away. And so a woman's worst fear comes true for this woman losing a child. So the Shunammites' joy of joys turns into sorrow of sorrows. And we know that the child is old enough to be working in the fields with his dad, but still we also can see that he's young enough to be carried And so what does the Shunammite do? Is she hysterical? Her child's just died in her lap. What's she going to do? The scripture says, And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. But what you see here is a very sensible, sober-minded woman. Very sensible, very sober-minded. Think of the list in Titus chapter 2, one of the things that older women are teach younger women to be sensible to have a steady hand, to help steady them, to help them navigate life. We're supposed to have learned that as we grow older, how to have a steady hand, how not to break out into hysterics. Yes, experience a tremendous pain, but not be like so crazy. So that's what you see here. I mean, think about it. Her son dies in her lap. She does not go into hysterics. She instead puts him on Elijah's bed. I mean, I mean, we have to think, well, why does she do this? I mean, it's probably another mark of faith. That's all she knows to do. If God could perform the impossible by giving her a son, surely he's going to be with her now. She just does the next thing that she knows to do.
1: In times of unexpected crises, it is tempting to lose one's self-control and to lose sight of who is in control. And next week, as Audrey concludes her look at the Shunammite woman, we'll see how both this woman... And for us today, true faith manifests itself in a measured response as we look to our foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Next Friday, we conclude our look at the Shunammite Woman. Join us then. In the meantime, remember to always think biblically and mother from the heart.